You are now listening to Out of the Blank. 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 Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Megan Llewellyn. Hey, Rob. How are you? I'm doing all right. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and if you want what you do professionally? Um, professionally, I don't really do anything. Uh, if you ask my family what I do, they would say that I smoke pot, do yoga, and walk on a daily basis. Um, and that's pretty accurate. Uh, my background is I was diagnosed with MS about 14 years ago, um, and about 10, for about 10 years, I used the pharmaceutical route um, and tried a number of different disease-modifying drugs and myriad of different uh, prescription drugs, and about three years ago, I found myself a shell of the person I once was, and I decided to come off of all the drugs and start using cannabis, and a lot has changed since then. Well, when we say MS, um, you mean multiple sclerosis, right? Yes. And I actually don't say that because I can't. Um, I have a problem with my tongue that it's, I have difficulty saying that word. So I just say MS. But yes, it is the other long word. That's a common um, symptom also, like tingling in the feet, you know, a little bit of like shakes and a, um, loss of words, fatigue for sure. Um, it, that's a complicated one too. It's, I will say it's a really annoying disease to have. Um, there are just so many different things that happen on an ongoing, regular, daily basis that are completely um, non, non-viewable by the outside. The invisible you know, part of the disease is one of the more annoying things. Not that I really want sympathy or empathy, but it just would be nice if people knew the weirdness that was going on. It's difficult probably on an everyday basis to the factors like you can't really work. You can't do a lot of stuff. I think just recently there became a trend now where we're seeing people talk about invisible illness, which is like stuff that's inside of us, such as like severe depression, such as like, you know, an intestinal issue. Like I have an intestinal issue, but nobody can notice that, you know, they see a regular person think, oh, since you have both arms and legs, you know, it's probably the same thing with you. You probably get it a little bit more because obviously yours hinders you a little bit more. Um, me, it's like, I just won't go to the bathroom for like a week. Yeah, yeah. Well, we talk, we have that in common. That's <laughs> something we can talk talk about other times. Um, yeah, I mean, the whole idea of invisible diseases for anyone is is a difficult thing because you know you don't want to be like most people don't want to be the victim. They don't want to be the complainer and say all of these things are going on, and yet it it makes life a lot easier to know that people do know what is you know potentially going on. You talked about you know. Um, tingling in the feet, I and fatigue, there are so many different symptoms that can affect different people. And the way my disease has progressed, sometimes, you know, they talk about relapsing remitting. And the, and the idea there is that you have moments of that you are flared and moments that is receded, and maybe you feel better. And the way my body has managed my disease, I don't ever get moments of relief. Once I get a symptom, it's there for, you know, the long haul, it just becomes a part of the clan that I, I drag around. And for me and the way I've decided to manage my life, you, you asked 
which started all of this, what do I do? I guess my serious answer would be, I am a writer. Um, I have blogged about my experiences with this disease. I used to say the, uh, the good, the bad, and the downright funny shit that happens when dealing with the disease. And as time progressed and my life progressed and my disease progressed, um, I ended up writing a book that I published uh, about 18 months ago. And as I mentioned, I came off of all the pharmaceuticals and began using cannabis. And that really has opened up a whole new world of opportunity for me, not only in managing my disease, but in what I'm writing about and what my passion in life is. Um, it used to be just trying to manage the disease. And now it's about finding natural ways to manage the disease and helping others learn how to do that as well. It's kind of difficult too, because like it literally, when we talk about like, you know, finding ways to cope with things, the best way kind of is to like what you're saying, talk about it, you know, address it, kind of make fun of it in a way as well. Not really patch Adam's humor, obviously, but you know, coming to a standpoint with it to understand that, yes, this is bothering me, but I'm not going to let it get it down emotionally. I think that's when the battle is really lost. And I understand the difficulties in that too. Like, you know, me, obviously I don't have anything severe, so I'm not going to turn it on to me or anything, but you know, with everything going on, you're in a doctor's room or something, you're answering questions and you're figuring out like something's hopefully just temporarily wrong with you. Then you find out something's permanently wrong with you. And it's not even your fault. Most of the time, a lot of it just genetics. It's the roll of the dice. And you're like, did life give me a bad shoot of the cards? And when that happens, obviously depression kicks up, you know, you want to do everything you possibly can to make sure, you know, you're getting all the treatments, you're getting everything you can, you're doing everything correctly. You're doing exactly what the doctor says, but it's all trial and error. And that's where pharmaceuticals come in, where they just give you a pill. And next thing you know, you're taking pills endlessly on an everyday basis. You don't feel like yourself anymore. And you look up in the mirror and you're lost. Yeah. Uh, the pharmaceutical side of my story, I was never anti-pharmaceutical because I believed in the doctors. Um, I was one that tended to go more the natural route. I have three children. Um, I wanted to have natural childbirths that didn't work out as planned, but that had been my intent. I had an aversion to putting drugs in my body when you know, giving birth. And so when I got the disease, I immediately began to think, I'm not sure I want drugs. And yet I turned to the doctors and all that was presented to me was the drugs. And so I jumped in wholeheartedly and I lock, stock and barrel. I mean, I was, I was a, um, patient advocate for one of the largest pharmaceutical companies, which meant I traveled, they paid me chunks of money to travel around and give speeches to other patients about how I was on their drug and what a wonderful thing it was doing. That's how much I believed in it. And yet I found myself, as I said, three years ago, and you brought up depression. I was at my absolute bottom. I had managed to get out of a horrible divorce. I was raising my three kids. I had met a man that I absolutely loved and adored, and we have a great life. And yet I couldn't get out of the depression because the chronic pain that came from the disease and the drugs I was on was just too much. I would, I'd never considered uh, killing myself because I would never do that to my kids. And yet every day I would wake up and wonder, how am I going to do this again? I mean, it was just that dismal. And as I said, the doctors only presented drugs. No one ever you know, said, you really should go back and exercise more and you should do yoga and you should look into cannabis because they don't know about those things. And, you know, I had an extreme fear that if I came off of the drugs, if I stopped using my doctors as my guide, you know, on this journey, that I would, would lose it. And it turns out that by saying goodbye to them and 
taking control of my journey, I'm a lot better off than I was. I mean, I've lost 65 pounds. I walk four miles a day. I go fishing with my husband any weekend that we can. You know, I mentioned I'm doing a lot to try to educate people. We bought a five acre property and we're opening up a cannabis retreat and educational center to try to help educate people. And years ago, I couldn't get off my couch to walk my dog around the block. So I think there's a lot to be said. You know, you say doctors throw pills at things. I think people then get under the, the fog of the pills and they forget to even listen to their body and, and pay attention to the things that might be doing it harm. Well, it's because we want a permanent fix so fast. I mean, someone gives you a little a little case of pills or something. And you says, want a hey, fix. That's yeah. But if someone gives you a case of pills or something and tells you, hey, you take one of these, next thing you know, your, your symptoms are going to go away. You're going to be feeling a lot better. You're going to be able to be you again. You're immediately going to shove three of, or four of them in your mouth or something. You know, I actually had somebody recently tell me um, they had this, like, it's like a, one of those little kombucha drinks, I would say. And they, it had like 3,000 milligram of vitamin C in it. And I was like, too much vitamin C can cause a little bit of symptoms or something. And they're like, no, it's not. Doctors approve on this, bro. I'm like, hang on a second. Don't get defensive. Understand that there's people out there that have an intolerance to vitamin C. I know a girl that if she has a little slice of an orange, she starts puking out her guts. She just can't handle vitamin C. It sucks. But and he's trying to tell me like, dude, nobody gets sick off vitamin C. I was like, dude, that's literally like the daily intake is like maybe 2000. You have 3000 in one shot. You're nuts. And it's the same thing with pills too. like pills. They give you this. Next thing you know, you keep bumping up the dosage. You're going to a freaking zombie mode, man. You can't even function anymore. I know what that's like. And I've taken those out of my scenario. I just preferred. Guess what? You know, life rolls on. Hopefully it gets better down the road. It really never does. I mean, it's you probably understand. You see it from where you were probably at maybe a while ago. You probably never would have thought in a day that you would have gotten to this point where you're at right now building your own cannabis thing. No, no. And and smoking, I mean, I have a 17-year-old son who um, at the moment is not actually living at home because he's quarantining somewhere else. But, you know, I looked at him six months ago as he was running out the door to get to school and I'm coughing up, up a lung because I just took a really big bong rip because that's how I medicate in the morning. And I just looked at him and I was like, did you ever think that this is where our life would end up? And he's like, nope. And, and truthfully, you, you can't know. And I could have taken the diagnosis and I could have become a victim. Um, I went from running six to eight miles a day to using a cane or a Segway. I don't know if you know what that Paul Blart mall cop. Yeah, I know um, the segue. That's what I chose instead of like a geriatric. Yeah, I, I, I people wanted me to get a geriatric scooter, and my kids were little, and I needed to go camping and do things with them. So I ended up getting the, the Segway, but I couldn't, I couldn't walk them to the bus stop without using it. And you know, I thought that was the progression of the disease. To now, fifteen years later, be doing so much better. It is eerie to me to think of what the drugs did to me because they really do, you know, you talk about they dampen things. They just put you, it's like having a wet blanket over your life. And that's unfortunately what they do with so many, you know, the disease modifying drugs, the actual drugs that the pharmaceutical companies are making to slow the progression of the disease. Maybe they, you know, do work for some people. Maybe there are positives. The problem is there are so many other drugs that doctors automatically prescribe for the additional symptoms that people have with the MS or the symptoms that the DMDs lead to. You know, I had one that gave me dry mouth, so they gave me a drug. That drug gave me constipation, so they gave me a suppository. I mean, I was all of a sudden on five more drugs 
because I was fighting, you know, the disease. And, and that's, unfortunately, I think a cycle that a lot of people get into with doctors. If there's something wrong, they go back, excuse me, go back to just get the next best thing, the next pill, rather than facing and taking accountability and looking at themselves in the mirror and saying, you know what, honest to God, maybe that, you know, two glasses of wine I have at night and the, you know, the milkshake I have every Sunday because that's my cheat because I have a disease and, you know, all of those things, if you really, really want to be healthy and not use the pharmaceuticals, you have to be honest with yourself and, and eliminate all of the things that you, you know, are saying are bad for your body. Well, I don't even blame doctors. I think the problem is honestly just the industry and the world we kind of live in. I mean, doctors, I get they're from their point of view. Most of them are just like, you, you got this symptom, it might be this. And if honestly, you know, we talk about not self-diagnosing. When I was starting to figure out what was going on with me, I was looking at every single disease, everything out there that's a symptom of what I had. And everything had a piece of it. Everything dealt with like uh, dry mouth, fatigue, everything dealt with like tingliness in the, the bottom extremities, a little bit of slower back pain. Um, intestinal problems, um, constipation or diarrhea or whatever. And it list went on and on and on. Everything has bits and pieces of those. So you're looking around, you got like 50 different things and you feel like you're narrowing down to one and it hops off to another. I mean, I understand where a doctor goes, it's this, and they start treating you and you figure out it's not that. But like, I mean, for me to say that is a lot because I've been fucked over by the medical industry more times than I can count. And you know, it's, it's a problem. I just ended up like forgetting about it and saying, I'm done with you guys. And then ended up coming back a few years later. But, you know, when you took your turn to cannabis, what made you do that? Because if you're dealing with numbness, um, shakes, all these types of things, it would seem to me that with every experience I've ever had with weed, it would amplify those effects even more. I usually get a little bit of numbness or tingliness in my body when I smoke a little weed and I get kind of super paranoid where I focus on things. I figured that would be a, a huge issue. So um, a couple of different things. First, I actually don't get stoned and then I'm not the only person with an autoimmune disease like MS. Um, that says that it has something to do with our bodies and the receptors and the neuron damage. We don't process THC the same way. And so I, I can smoke bong after bong and, and I eat 2000 milligram edibles multiple times during the day. That's to keep my medication levels at where I need them to be. When I consume cannabis, you said, you know, you get tingly in the feet, you get kind of an altered, you know, time warp. All of those things are what I live with with my MS. And so it is not at all, so I don't, I don't act stoned because it's not changing what you're already perceiving. And, and as I explain it, when I am not medicated, my disease is like going through a fog that's like a, a thick, dark uh, forest in the middle of a, a rainstorm. And there's twi twigs and branches and things you know, that are dangerous that I need to watch out for. And it's scary and it's, it's horrible. When I consume cannabis, the fog is just a rolling fog on a beach. And you know I can just navigate life a lot easier. And yet no one on the outside ever perceives that I've, you know, that I've consumed as much as I have because my brain and body don't react the way other people do to the THC, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's the same thing. I have ADHD and I took um, Adderall one time and I remember how clear and focused I was. More like somebody, turned my brain down a notch. I know that sounds a little bit hard when it comes to prescription 
when it comes to like prescription drugs, people always talk about, I feel like I'm in a fog. I felt like that with some drugs, but my brain is constantly running 24 seven. As I'm talking to you, I'm already thinking about what I'm going to be having for dinner. I'm going to be thinking about what I'm doing later. I'm going to be thinking about multiple different things at once. And my mind is constantly shooting off. So when oh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm authoring. Yeah. yeah. I'm authoring like um, chapters in my mind, same thing. Yeah. So we're similar in that. So way. when I try and go to sleep, my brain likes to run like a little rabbit and not let my eyes fully get its rest. A good, I, well, I'm, I'm also an insomniac. So, I mean, it's a benefit. I just learned to be very uh, proactive, I would say, get a lot of work done. But like when I sleep 30 minutes for me, it feels like 12 hours. Like I'll wake up with drool and shit all over me. Like what the hell just happened? I'll be like getting ready for work and it'll be like a Saturday where I don't work or something. And it's, it's nuts. But when we talk about like Adderall, it, that put me on something where I felt different and focused, but I finally felt like I could see clearly, like someone had lifted the veil, like that wet blanket that you're talking about. And that's where I look at cannabis. It's different for everybody. I don't, I don't say I'm an advocate for, for it to be, I guess, for everybody. Um, me, I feel like I'm definitely like either allergic to something or something about it. Um, mostly because every time I've gotten baked, I've just gotten completely trashed out of my mind to the point where like, I don't ever want this to happen again. And, um, but I look at it because I've seen it help so many people that have a serious medical issue, whether it's Parkinson's, whether it's like in your case scenario with MS or something. And I wonder why we haven't looked at this before and it's just starting to pick up a lot of steam now it's starting to see just saying the word weed just saying the word cannabis it's a lot less stigmatized than it used to be well and and you say you know you wonder why the the, the world you know beliefs are a really strong thing when you believe in something and people believe that cannabis is bad they have been taught they have it has been drilled into them in our society and you know the reasons behind why it went illegal because for years people knew the medicinal properties and there was a lot of research that was being done that was leading towards you know hey this might actually be a cure towards cancer and and other things and that was all put you know the kibosh was put on it unfortunately because it came down to money and the people that were making money in the pharmaceutical companies, and, and there's, a, there's a lot to the story of how it became illegalized, but it really came down to it was being repressed because it was not, it was not a way that, that people saw making money. And now with the advent of the internet and people able to spread word a lot more, you know, people are beginning to understand that there is a lot of legitimacy to it. And all I can tell you is I was on 14 different medications. I was on methadone. I was on, I, they wanted to put a pain pump in my hip. And I now do nothing but cannabis and CBD and other plant-based, you know, I do a lot of ginger and turmeric and anti-inflammatory foods. You know, I'm all 100% hippie for, according to my kids. But I went from those 14 and thinking I couldn't live without them to realizing my body was, was rejecting all of them. And well, you talk about your reaction with the Adderall, and that's just a, a true sign to me because some people go on Adderall and feel that fog, that wet blanket. And you said I, you felt focused. I mean, that means to me that there's a chemical in you, you know, in your brain that that needed that, that the Adderall talked, you know, to. And and I believe that with cannabis, with the different strains, with the different consumption methods that there probably is just like there's a prescription for everything, there is probably a strain and a method of cannabis for everyone. Do I think that everyone should do it? No, because if you don't believe it, it's not going to work. I, you know, if you, and 
because there is a lot there is a lot of power in the mind body connection and you know if you don't believe something you're taking is going to help it's it's going to take a lot more you don't to need work. to tell me about the mind body connection holy crap i remember one time i got so stoned i thought my body was on lockdown i couldn't move my legs i couldn't move my arms that's a fucking high if i've ever had one let me tell you something you know tearing up a, i couldn't even get up to get a bag of chips Yes. And that's how my body feels with EMS, like all the time. And so again, when I smoke cannabis, what would make you feel like, dude, this is so weird. I'm over that. I've been dealing with that for the last 14 years. Cannabis just gives it, gives me, I guess the mental clarity that you were talking about to be like, oh, no, 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 Meg, this is just EMS. Let's go, let's get on and let's, you know, open a farm. Let's, you know, have do things other than just sit here and think, oh my God, I can't move. Well, there's also a really good point to what I was saying before about the whole um, mindset of like, why was it illegal for so long? You would think that when, if someone gave you a diagnosis and told you that you're going to die in six months, you're going to do anything and try everything, do as much as you possibly can to make sure that you're going to fix yourself and not have this thing happen to you. So I wonder why that it took people so long to go through so many trials with pills until cannabis finally came around. Maybe it was the lack of knowledge of, of how big it was, how, I guess, how popular it was. It seemed like it was hidden away for so long, but I understand all the legal reasons why it wasn't. And it's trying it's a giant money kind of scheme in a way that we've went throughout history. But it seems like if someone told me that in three months from now, I was going to die from this illness and I, it, we need to start doing methods now. I'm trying everything and everything I possibly can to make sure I do it. That means eating ginger, even though it kind of tastes like shit, you know, eating turmeric, whatever you want. I would go through the whole list. I would be sorting cayenne pepper to clean my senses if that helps. You know, like I would be going down the whole list just to make sure I could find those options. And we've seen people do that, you know, but I think where we're seeing now is doctors are like, why don't you try medical cannabis? That isn't a major accomplishment, I would say, but it just sucks that we didn't have this mentality before. The fact was it was pushed so down into a crevice that we didn't know about it. Yeah, so so I agree with you. I don't think you, know, you, you said you don't blame the doctors. And then you said, you know, why is it that, you know, if you had a disease and you have six months, why wouldn't you go down every rabbit hole? The problem is doctors, literally just don't know. I mean, my neurologist, when I went back to him three years ago and said, hey, doc, I came off of all the drugs and I'm on cannabis. He's like, wow, let me know how that goes. Because he literally doesn't know anything. And they don't know, you know, doctors don't have time to jump on Leafly and, and you know, there aren't education classes that they, they're beginning to offer some, but they just, and so as a doctor that you, everything that you do is rooted in your knowledge that you gained from your time as an you know an academia studying and to then have to relearn something you know is is daunting but it also is asking them you know again i said beliefs are huge they believe there's a reason there's a doctor you know they are they became doctors they want to help people but many of them for so long have believed that their prescription pad, that those drugs are the best way. And so readjusting their whole mindset, you know, is going to take a lot and a lot of education. I mean, you, you brought up, if you had a disease, my father is 84 years old and he has battled lung cancer for the last four years. I said, three years ago, I came off of all my pharmaceuticals and started cannabis. My father has witnessed, you know, firsthand 
my conversion back to life. I mean, he has sat in, in my kitchen and wept because he's like, you are back. You were a shell of the person and you are back. So he knows the power. And yet my father is still not using cannabis because his doctors don't believe in it. And they actually did give him permission to begin using CBD recently. And so I've sent him some CBD tinctures. Um, but that's, again, four years of battling it, watching his own daughter, he, he 100%, I mean, he would give me all the money in the world to fund this educational center because he believes it's the right thing and, and everything. And yet he doesn't because he is to so tied to his relationship with his doctors and his doctors just don't know enough. And they're like, Bruce, we know that your daughter is doing well and we respect it, but we don't know how it'll react to, you know, the drugs you're on. They just don't know. And as a doctor, if you don't know, you can't in good faith, you know, make recommendations without, you know, it being really, really scary. I think that's going to end up being fixed by the new generation of children that are coming up. These millennials that are now so yes. I know a few friends and, you know, they're, they're my, I'm in my 20s. They're in their 20s. They're starting to go into a PRMC, like a bunch of local regional medical centers down here. And I start to notice, like, as the generations keep increasing, the society keeps changing and finding new ways of cannabis being on the rise now, you're seeing all these medical shops open up and everything. It's becoming a little bit less stigmatized. This new era of doctors are just going to look at it and they're going to start prescribing it more. And I think this this definitely isn't the answer. I don't think this this is going to be the final thing we come down to as another thing. I guarantee you, like a couple of years or five or ten years from now, there's going to be a whole another thing out there that's a lot healthier or a lot more beneficial than cannabis that we're going to find or something. It's the same thing. We always rediscover something new. That's Mushrooms. Not, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mushrooms are another thing that are, yep. And when it comes to that, I'm not, it's not me saying cannabis isn't bad, but I think that's a better fix than anything that is going on right now. The thing is though, much like I'm going to ask you, when you experienced your first symptom, you know how crumbling that is to experience, to feel like, oh, this is just something that's happening today. Then you start to notice it's not going away. And then you really start going, what the hell is wrong with me? I need to get checked out. And that's when a lot of fear plays a big part. And that's what can push people to a lot of pharmaceuticals. I mean, it's very intimidating because that's the first option. They're like, I can give you this. It's going to fix this. Next thing you know, you're like, I want it as done as possible. Then you start to notice that this is going to lead to something else and it's leading to something else. And then it's leading to something else. Next thing you know, you have a shelf lined up with pills and you have a whole bathroom, like little pill containers to say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Like I look at my grandpa who takes, um, like has to take some vitamins or pills or something in the morning. He's got a whole container thing out. He's taking like eight different pills with different juices and stuff. I'm like, what is this? He's like, just don't get old. I was like, holy shit. Like it's, it's a never ending kind of cycle. Well, and I started that cycle at the age of 37. I had my grandma's pill box that I dragged around that I had to get bigger and bigger because my day, you know, my daily boxes needed to be bigger. Um, and that it's just, it's the sad reality of how people address being diagnosed with something. You, you know, you described the, the fear of the unknown and it doesn't go away and it doesn't go away and it's lingering. And finally you break down and you go, you know, to a doctor because like shit isn't right. You know I mean? My mind, as I said, I was running six to eight miles a day when I first got my symptoms, which was tingling. I, I describe it when your foot goes to sleep and you get that dead, heavy, numb feeling in your foot. That's uh, what I had. And like, if you stomp your foot, you'll get 
when your TV goes on static, I always say that's what it is. That's the feeling you get when your foot's asleep. Okay, and so and then you stomp it and you get the pins and needles. I never got the pins and needles. I spent my entire su summer stomping my foot, waiting for it. And I now know that that was like the beginning of the MS, but I, you know, I didn't know it back then. But your life becomes consumed with it because you don't know what it is and your brain keeps returning to the, you know, the, the horribles, the what ifs. And so then you're brought to the doctors and, and the doctors, the first thing they do is bring in the drugs and, you know, the conversation of that rather than saying, whoa, okay, you know, this is MS and you're in a flare-up and flare-ups are usually caused by, you know, stress, you know, external things and also internal. Let's look at what you're eating. Maybe we need to reduce. None of that is ever addressed because that isn't the conversation that is had with a doctor and patient for the most part. It's changing. And I agree with you. I think as younger people, you know, get into the profession of, of medical, whether they are traditional doctors or they become naturopaths or what have you. I think that will change, but for right now, that really isn't. I mean, as I said, I went back to smoking cigarettes, which was the stupidest thing, but I was so angry at my body for you know, getting a disease, which as you said, seemed like it was of no fault of my own, although my ex said it was because of, there was something in the, our drinking water. So who knows, maybe he knows something we don't. But you know, I, I spent most of my time, I kind of squirreled there, I can't remember what I was saying, sorry, I do that. It's all right. Um, I mean, my I get see my mind. I, I feel yeah, I experience the same thing. My mind will go off on some things too. I think another thing is though. What I kind of wanted to ask is when you first tried cannabis, what exactly did you feel? Because I always tell people like, if you could lose one sense, what sense would it be? And everyone always goes, I would lose my sense of touch. And I say that is the one I would hate to lose the most. I love my vision. I really do. I love my hearing. I love my sense of taste. I love my sense of smell. But when it comes to the touch there's something real about that that helps me come down a lot of times when i'm very very clouded in my mind and when i say that is my thoughts i can get trapped in them so easily it's like a, a a well or something just if you echo or you say like hi in a well or something it just echoes and reverberates off the walls it keeps going back and forth that's how my thoughts are there's a million of them coming at me at once and what really helps me is when i'm getting so stuck in my head and time's flying by so quickly just grab something you know, touch my desk or something, whatever, you know, if I have to rub my fingers together, feel my You ground yourself. Exactly. So when you- You ground yourself. And yep. when, when people say they want to lose the sense of touch, and I hold that most precious to me because of how much it means to me. When you first smoked cannabis, what did you notice as a sense of touch using that sense start to change? What was the first thing that really stuck out that wasn't happening anymore? Well, and see, it all still happens. It's just less. Like I, I try to explain to people, I don't claim that cannabis has cured me of my MS. I still have all the crazy shit, 100%. I just manage it better through using cannabis and yoga and CBD and, and diet and all of those things. You know, I, and so my very first, again, knowing that me saying I don't get stoned and then me mentioning that I you know, I will use an edible that has 2,000 milligrams, which would make most people just out of their mind, dumb and dead. That's what we call a, a death edible. Time. When I first started, okay, okay, so um, at some point, I'm going to have to tell you the story of the questionable edible, which is my 85-year-old dad who has lung cancer, ate one a couple of weeks ago, and actually 911 had to take him to the hospital. So questionable edibles are, are out for my dad. It was not a good experience. 
But for me, knowing how much I can consume now, it is amazing to me looking at what I started with. Like I, it took me three and a half months to get up the balls to go to the dispensary because I was sure that the bar, bud tender was going to be like, cause I'm, I'm your typical like soccer mom. You know, I'm, I was driving my minivan at that, like, or my Euro van with like stickers all over it. I mean, like I scream to somebody who wants to fuck with you and, and get you stoned, like I would be the person that they would want to play with. And so I was so scared that I was going to go in and say, I don't want to get stoned. They were going to send me home with something that was going to have me off the wall. And between my husband and I, we have five kids and they're all teenagers. And as my daughter says, we show love by making fun of each other. And so if I was stoned off my ass, I knew that they would taunt me for the rest of my life. So I had like the fear of God in me about getting stoned. And so I put it off for, for, you know, three, four months. I was in agony and yet I was scared. Started out with things like a mint that had 10 milligrams of THC, which I think for most people who don't use cannabis, that would give them some sort of, you know, response or reaction. Now knowing that I could eat 15 of those tins and, you know, and it wouldn't get me stoned. I often wonder what it was in my body that said, no, this is working. You've got to keep going because I was eating that one little, you know, 10 milligram and it wasn't doing anything. And yet I would something again, clicked in my brain that was like, this is the right thing. You need to go back and get more. And that's what I did for three years. I kept going back to dispensaries and learning more. I flew to Colorado and I learned how to grow and found out my husband is a closet farmer and we've gone from there. But, you know, no, so, so my response to what did I feel the very first time, you know, nothing. And yet something in my mind was like, this is the way to go. Now, so you don't get high at all. That means you don't have like a specific high memory. Like, no. I mean, even for me, like I have a moment with nope. trying weed or something and I had a moment of clarity. You don't have any of that? No, when I, I, I have smoked pot in the past. Um, my brother was, has been a wakened baker since he was like 14. He has severe tinnitus. He has, um, uh, uh, what's the skin, psoriasis. Um, so he's got a lot of medical ailments that I think he has self-medicated for years. Um, and for a number of years, my brother has been a very, very dark person, very negative. And, and I used to say, my brother's an asshole. And I always thought it was because he smoked pot. So I had that fear that if I smoked pot, I was going to become an asshole. And I joke that it turns out my brother was just an asshole, had nothing to do with the pot. But I was so scared, like scared of my reaction because once or twice in college, I smoked pot, you know, in a, in a fraternity, God knows what it was, you know, could have been laced with things. I have no idea. And it was with a group of people that I had, you know, no like for, no love of. And they taunted me when I became paranoid. And so, yeah, I had horrible, you know, thoughts about what I thought cannabis would entail. Um, but since starting this and, and having as consuming as much as I have, I don't have any stoned, I can, if I drink, I don't, I'm not drinking alcohol anymore, but if I am medicated as heavily as I like to be, and then I start drinking, because I used to medicate with alcohol um, before I started the cannabis, that was the other thing I added to my wonderful mix of healthy things back then. Um, but I never really felt drunk. I, again, my body just put the alcohol towards the pain and, and dealing with the MS until I just got to the point where I ran myself ragged. But if I would consume cannabis and smoke, then I would begin to feel something. I mean, that's like, I, and so much of both sides, it, it's just, there's something about my body that 
takes anything that I'm putting in that, you know, would distort someone else's mind or perception and it just makes mine better. I, it's a very weird, I, my stepson is a cop. And so when he um, was going through his training and was learning about um, testing people for THC and looking at their eye dilation and, and whatnot, he got up one morning and we did a test where I woke up and before I did any ball and rips or anything, he put me through the battery of tests that they do to determine whether or not somebody's under the influence. And I failed horribly. I took four huge ball and rips and I passed with flying colors. And, you know, I mean, as a cop, he sees that and he's like, you know, and he knows that it's my medication. And he knows that like, if I were driving and I got pulled over and I got tested for THC, I would be, you know, skyrocketed. And yet, you know, so it goes against everything he's being told as a, as a cop. And yet he saw firsthand that for me, it's a medicine. It's, it's kind of like, I think if you took the amount of methadone that I used to take, it would make you messed up. I mean, or, you know, other opioids that I was on. And, you know, it's, I guess, as messed up as my body is, it, it just, I don't know, I can't explain it. And I would love for somebody to scientifically, you know, be able to, to pinpoint it. Well, see, what's interesting is you come, you have a very good perspective on how to be able to educate people and how to be able to change people's minds when it comes to the way of maybe medicating, maybe finding an alternative route, like a holistic healing type way as well. I consider cannabis a little bit of a holistic healing. It's a lot healthier than, you know, the pharmaceutical medication, obviously, is why I consider it that way. But if you notice, everybody that is a cannabis educator comes from a standpoint of, I am fixed. I'm cured. This has helped me. It's helped change my life. It helps me deal with the pain. You come from a perspective of it makes me normal. And I think that is a little bit different. Um, obviously, you said that it helps manage your pain. It doesn't make it go away. I think that it's a completely different perspective than a lot of people try and give off. See, the problem is when we talk about cannabis and how wonderful it is and how amazing it is. But if you come with that perspective and that mindset to people, they don't, you know, a lot of the population just goes, okay, I've heard it all before. It turns into this thing, but you just tell people straight up, like it's helped me, but I still have my symptoms. It's not a cure. Everyone always talks about how it's a cure. It's a little bit of a fix. And I think that is a great perspective. And it makes me kind of wonder how do you typically try and show somebody or tell somebody about it? How do you sit them down? Because with cannabis educators, it's more like telling them about facts and showing them like hardcore proof or something. It's like, why don't you just be real with the person and get into a real connection with them and let them into your mind, into well, your That's day. what I do. That's, and you said, how do I do it? I let them just be with me to, and, and watch me consume my pot and, and be me and live my life. I mean, I have a wonderful story. My mom and dad live on Martha's Vineyard and my husband and I were out for a walk on the, the dirt roads. They live way off in the woods, middle of nowhere. And I'm smoking my joint and we come upon this old man that's out on the side of his pot or on the side of this big, big mansion that's got this huge view of, of the ocean. and he is out weeding and, you know, one would assume that he was the gardener. I don't. And we started talking to him. He's an older, older gentleman and ended up talking to him for over two hours and fantastic, fantastic guy. He is 95 years old. He has, you know, six sons. He told us all about all of their achievements. Many of them were in the military. This, uh, one of them is a squash champion. So he has a squash uh, court in his home. And in the course of our, our conversing with him, 
the topic of, of my MS and then the cannabis use came up. And at the beginning of the conversation, he completely shut down and said, I do not believe in that. That is it, the devil's weed. It is. And it was all of the things that we joke about, like the anti you know, pot people would say. And yet, you know, he wasn't shutting me down. He was just telling me, I want you to know this is my standpoint. By the end of two hours of just standing there in the heap talking to this man, he gave me a hug and whispered in my ear, you keep smoking your pot, dear. And like, that's how I do it. I just let people sit and experience what it is for me because I'm not asking anybody else to do it. You know, other than to say, if you want, if you have thought about it, if it is something that is entered, you know, entered your mind as this might be something, you know, a route that I want to look at, but you're scared. All I'm telling you is I'm a really good example of why not to be scared because it legitimately, you know, we had a woman that flew here from the Netherlands. She found my Instagram account. She had been diagnosed about a year ago and, and had been following my journey with cannabis and was being put on the drug that I say, you mentioned your gastrointestinal problems. I have those as well. And I accredit it to one specific drug. I mentioned 30 days without a shit, started taking this drug. And 30 days later, I hadn't taken a shit. So I, I think it's fair to say that it was to blame for it. She was being pressured to be put on that when she found us. She flew here from the Netherlands by herself with this crazy disease that I can tell you doing anything by yourself is very daunting to meet us and be with us when we signed the documents and got the keys for our property because she wanted to know if cannabis was legitimately a medicine. She just wanted, she's like, I feel like everybody who uses it gets to the point where they just get stoned and then yeah, everything's okay. And so then they say their life is better. Like that's not what I want. And so she came here and watched me and watched, you know, and, and everybody's going to be different. You know, no one is going to be able to do the 2000 milligrams, you know, or not many people. And, you know, she did a 10 milligram and was off, you know, she was on the couch for three hours. So she's obviously going to need to learn her, her dosing. But what she walked away with was, again, we talk about beliefs are strong. She walked away with the belief that cannabis could help her. And that's, that's all I want is for people to be able to have that. And I know that makes me kind of like a hippie. Well, and no, I, we talk about people that want to be a cannabis educator and want to do something, even when they realize how beneficial cannabis is. That means working at maybe a medical shop or just telling people how good it is or trying to be an advocate for it. But you're talking about maybe starting your own retreat type thing. And that is a big difference. Oh, no, what, we're doing it. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that's a yeah. huge difference. So I want to know how you came to that conclusion and what are you typically envisioning here? Okay. So when did... um. I began imagining this almost um, from the get-go, once I began to realize how much cannabis could help me. And I, I think it really started, I flew to Colorado. Again, I talked about flying by, doing anything by yourself with the disease is really daunting. And particularly as the disease progresses. And, and I had not flown by myself since being diagnosed. And I got on a plane and I went to Colorado by myself and went to an expo, which is like sheer hell for my MS because of sensory overload because I was determined to learn how to grow cannabis, because that's how much I, I believed in it. And at that point during that trip is when I began to imagine what we are creating now. And it's called Camp Sunshine. And the name is actually, when I was growing up, my dad used to sing John Denver, Sunshine on My Shoulders uh, to me when I used to have medical problems with my ears and I had to have surgery. And that's what he used to sing to me. And so I have always known that this that was going to be the name of the camp 
Um, but I started, I would talk about it, but I really didn't know what all it would encompass. I just knew I wanted a place where people could come and safely learn. And I think that was driven by when I was in Colorado, which is the other state where people, people come to Washington, but they also go to Colorado to learn about it recreationally and party and, you know, get, get high and everything. And, and so the, the drive behind that is to, you know, to get the tourism part into it. And so every single event I went to, I hear in, in Washington and in Colorado that was cannabis driven was kind of, and I'm not dissing any, you know, um, culture, but it was kind of hip hoppy and it was, you know, with, with loud music and flashing lights and, and boom booms. And like, again, I talk about my sensory disorders and like, it was sheer hell. And, and if you go there and you're trying to learn about something that is supposed to be soothing and, and relaxing to, you know, this crazy thing that I kind of say is like an autistic child that lives in my body, like that scenario is not good. And so from that, I perceived that I wanted this John Denver hippy dippy, you know, den where people could just sit and, and learn. And was my husband became involved because as I said, we discovered he's a closet farmer. He like grows really, really good pot. And we began talking about our lives together in the future. We both knew that we wanted to get out of the city. And so about 18 months ago, I found a realtor up north and we began just kind of visiting places and making a checklist of, of all of the things. I mean, my sensory disorder, I can't be, you know, over, there was one that was by a military base, but they do a lot of flybys and I could never do that because I'd go crazy. And so it was just, you know, narrowing down the list. And, you know, my husband at one point, we saw a place that wasn't right, but he was like, I liked the park like setting. And so as our ideas progressed, the ideas behind the camp progressed. And when we drove up and saw the actual property that we own now, my husband got out. The story is I thought we were going to a property that was like three blocks from the Canadian border. And I thought I had hours in the truck to medicate and get ready to, to be on because it that's I don't mean to say that I am fake when I am out in the world, but it takes a lot for me to function with my MS. And so I, I say it's my on. And so I wasn't medicated. It turns out I was wrong. We were like 10 minutes from the place. We pull up. He gets out and goes around the garage to this view of there is a pond with a water fountain, there is a bridge, there is a field where our pot could grow. I mean, it's, there's cows next door. I mean, it's everything we could have envisioned. And, you know, he's like, honey, and I'm falling out of a truck. I've got, you know, like my pots on the ground. I'm trying to find my shoes. And he keeps saying, honey, honey. And I get really pissed off. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, what? And I come around and this place is like $150,000 more than our max that we would be comfortable with. And my, the words out of my mouth, I don't know if I can say the F word, but I said, you know, F you to our real estate, real estate agent for bringing us there. Cause I knew at that point that we were going to have to buy the place. And it's, okay. it's absolutely amazing. And so go ahead. I, I love what you said that about saying the F word. I've dropped it probably three times already, but um, no, the reason that what I find this so interesting is where your passion. Okay, well, I got fired from a job for saying Okay, well, look, the reason why I say I'm so I'm so interested in wanting to know what your retreat is about is because at one point um, in my life, there was a family problem with an alcohol addiction. And it seemed like drugs were always like another thing that was involved in there, too. And for me, I, it, it infected my life so much that I was like, I want to be able to help people also that want to kind of fix themselves in a way where they want to get off drinking or they want to do something. They just want to be themselves. And I went to a lot of chemical dependency counseling and I started looking at everything and I think what the main problem is like at one point after studying so much with chemical dependency and getting my certificate in it, I really wanted to, to end up designing a retreat. 
someone offering me maybe a million dollars, what would I do with it? Instead of doing the selfish route, I wanted to build a retreat, but not something like you would commonly see where it was like a crappy rundown house or something like a halfway home or something that was so glamorified where it's like every morning we do yoga on the beach. I'm like, no, make it average, make it like an apartment complex, make it to a point where people have to live there for six months is, is just the basic to where they can get a job, they can get on their feet, and then they start paying rent, and they can choose to stay living there. You know, get them on their feet, but make it average because they don't want to be babied. They don't want to seem like higher up on a pedestal. They don't want to be treated with all sincerity. They don't want to be also looked at like they're a freak or something. Just treat them like a person. I think that's the most rational way to tackle something, especially with you making a cannabis retreat. You know, you're talking about the punk pop music, whatever, the that type music, that kind of all flashy and then my husband does that yeah let's make it normal let's just show people like hey we're gonna do this because it helps us let's not make it to where we all have to wear matching robes and sit and get massages and flaming rocks onto our backs and acupuncture whatever no let's just make it normal and let's just enjoy each other's company get to know people a little bit better because i think what really brings us all down in the end is the mental part of it too, the emotional side of all this is probably the biggest one that really keeps us down and makes the symptoms rise even more. I mean, whenever you're sick and you're depressed, you get even more sick. I think that's obviously what's happening with a lot of this coronavirus too, is people are getting really fucking depressed as well. And it's not helping the situation. I say, let's just no, be- they need to get out and go for a walk and be in nature and do all the yoga stuff that I did that has, I mean, like I was, at the bottom of my barrel three years ago. I mean, I really, really was. And as I said, I am now, you know, you talk about like the envision that I, the vision that I have for the camp, um, the part, so I, the part that we are working on right now is there will be an event venue and weddings like high end. You know, I keep saying, think Martha Stewart of the Pacific Northwest. My mom, you know, lives on Martha's, uh, Martha's Vineyard. I get that I have that schwanky in me. And so I want it to be a very nice, elegant, but understated, just using, we have nature. Like that's what I want, you know, to, to highlight the money that we will make from those events and, and industry. Like I have a lot of dispensary owners that are saying they would love to have their Christmas party here because, you know, they can't consume in public places. And so there's a lot where we can make money off of the event part. The event part is going to fund the, educational center which is going to run during the week and have like yoga sessions just normal people in our community signing in and being able to go out on the canoe in our property and just sit with their joint and relax and you know have cooking classes and just have people be able to because it is like a park and it's going to be pot park is what it's going to be called and it's going to be pot pond and people can just come and, and attend educational classes where we teach them how to grow cannabis and we teach them how to grow hemp and we leave, we let them leave with seeds so that they can do it themselves. And then the third part of it is to then have the money from those two things fund more of the Lucy's, the woman I mentioned from the Netherlands, to come and live with my husband and I in our private quarters to be a true camper and learn like how I hack my life with MS and, and everything like you talked about, like, isn't it great to get people together and, and share stories because, you know, it helps with the depression. The reality is the way that I hack my life with my MS and all the crazy shit that happens is it's a hundred percent through distraction. 
that is what I have done. And, and that is what I've created with this camp. This is the grand distraction of all distractions. Because when I am here, when I am on my fucking John Deere mower and I am feeding the fish and chasing my 11 year old American bulldog, you know, because he's chasing the cows, I'm not thinking about my MS. I gotta tell you, ever. And like the fact that I am doing this and I am going to be able to help other people maybe find this amount of happiness when living with something as fucked up as MS is the most incredible thing. I, I just, I like, I pinched myself that this is my life. I definitely think you should turn it into a type of retreat that has like log cabins and like kind of like a camp kind of vibe to it. We are, yep. Well, I just think it would be so interesting too because having literally yes the campground things i think that's amazing because if you could hook up like a bonfire i mean who just wants to sit by a bonfire with somebody at night and just talk that was the whole reason what the whole aspect i wanted to get out of this podcast was just that deep conversation which you don't remember exactly what's said but those moments and memories and that bond that's created at that night or at that moment sticks with you forever well and those those i'm a, i'm a believer in energy I mean, my, again, my kids now call me a hit. I have two boys that are like into powerlifting. Like they are like these big testosterone driven, you know, dudes. And they're just like, mom, you're a hippie. And like the reality is I am because I 100% believe in energy. And you talk about like those shared moments and bonfires. Like that's what I want because that's what life is about. It, you know, you, you wonder what, changed my life most about getting a disease and it's this that like it you get rid of all the bullshit you really really do and you know you decide what is important and i realized very early on that you know i was in a bullshit marriage and so i i did everything i could to get out of that and i really thought i would be on my own and i ended up with this great person that's you know truly my partner i am not asking him to do these things for me because he's loving them as much as i am I mean, and that's, that's the fantastic part of it. If I was doing this by myself, it would be fun, but it wouldn't be nearly as enjoyable. I mean, our relationship is, is fantastic because as I said, we show each other, you know, we love each other through making fun of each other. So the man just spends his days making fun of me and it, it leaves me laughing and it's fantastic, really. Well, what are you going to call the name of this place? Like, what's the official title? So it's Camp Sunshine. As I Camp said, that came from my dad and, and singing the song, John... Yep. Yeah, I know. Um, I, I know you said Camp Sunshine, but also, are you going to try and maybe market it in a way where I, I like the Camp Sunshine idea, but how are you going to include that story in there to where people see it too? Because people are going to see Camp Sunshine. They're going to be like, what? Like, what is this, a child's camp? Like, how are you going to bring that message in to let them know the deep meaning behind it? Because I think that's what really can also draw people in. Well, and again, um, I so so the tag of it is it's Camp Sunshine and then the second line is a cannabis retreat and educational center. So um, I did not want cannabis to be a part of the the actual name, primarily because it's not just cannabis that I am teaching. I am teaching you know CBD. I am teaching diet. I, you know what you eat. All, you are what you eat. I am teaching exercise and yoga. I mean it's a lifestyle, and so I didn't want. The retreat to be a you know in the name to just indicate that it was for cannabis fun fact those same children that i mentioned when i said camp sunshine they immediately started googling to see you know my you can't just call it camp sunshine and it turns out that almost every other camp sunshine that exists you mentioned kids are kids but they're kids battling cancer and so i really don't have 
any worry about being associated. And I'm not saying that all people with cancer should look at cannabis, but that's, you know, there's enough. And I love children. I have my own. I think I would have been a teacher had I not ended up with a disease that, you know, and smoking pot all the time. Um, but I have this dream, my job that I would have continued had I not um, gotten a divorce and, and everything was I was an aide to autistic children. And I have a real affinity to autistic people and autistic kids. And so in my dream, I talk about, I want the events. Like I was married to somebody who has money. I know people with money that will pay for, you know, high hoity-toity events here. I want that money to then fund like every year, once a year in the, in the summer, we're going to have autism week and we're going to have all these families come and pitch their tents in the back with their autistic kids and learn how to grow organic vegetables and organic hemp and cannabis if that's the route their child is taking but to spend and let their kids learn about growing it because there's a lot in growing it yourself I and mean, there's so much to, to be said about learning how to grow for the healing parts of it again the hippie in me but you know and imagining like these kids again i love autistic kids and like having like you know canoe races and 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 having a true camp experience for them on top of their families getting together and being able you know to learn so I, um, going back to how am I going to designate or tell the story, I guess I am just going to hope that I am going to get on a whole bunch of more documentaries and, and podcasts so that I can tell the, tell people, um, you know, the story, but I guess the other part of it is I don't feel like I need that many people to know about this for it to be successful. Um, like I, neither my husband nor I want fame or anything. Like we just want to make enough that we can get the people who need truly to learn to get here um well it's a trickle effect more like you help one person and then next thing you know it helps everybody you know what i mean uh the factor of uh dealing with people or just helping people that had an affinity for like um mental like kind of a mental issue such as uh you know i don't i don't want to say it's not retardation i keep forgetting what the word is a disability mentally disabled people um i actually have an I like kind of a passion for helping them myself, mostly because I'm so fascinated with how the human brain works with dealing with a lot with psychology. I started looking at them and I started noticing something. A lot of people would just feel like there's something wrong with them. And I would say, no, they're seeing the earth in one of the purest forms without all of the bullshit that gets clouded into most of our heads. And I think the reason why I became so passionate about it that I've actually never really admitted was because when I was a child, uh, the teachers, the education system, they thought I was mentally retarded because of how much energy I had and how I just couldn't sit still and pay attention. I wanted to throw things. I wanted to go out and do stuff. And they treated me like crap. They threw me in a room and everything. And really, you know, they tell my parents I need to be like taken into a special school. I need to do all these special things. And I was so scared because I felt like that there was something wrong with me. So that has always been the thing that has interested me the most about being around these people is the aspect of fear and wondering why, but honestly seeing that they see the world through such a clear lens it's beautiful it's very true it, it is one of the reasons that i enjoy being i mean they're just they're genuine you know i, I think one of the the biggest obstacles that i've had in my life um just in dealing with people and underneath the umbrellas of what they expect me to be um is that i am extremely honest and you know and genuine and uh, to be honest people with down syndrome and autistic people are some of the only other really genuine people that I've encountered. And not to say that there aren't, you know, normal functioning, mentally functioning people out there that aren't genuine. There are, but they, they are such a rare form. And yet, 
you know, you get down syndrome. And I mean, it's just, there's a, a purity to your interactions with them that it, you just can't match. And I mean, it, it means a lot to me. First of all, you coming out and doing the podcast and explaining to this, uh, you know, at least, you know, short interaction we had on Instagram and next, you know, we're doing a podcast together, but it was very interesting to get some insight on. So, you know, you're, what you're doing, what you're trying to educate the people too. And I mean, nothing better than to release it on episode 420. I think that's a perfect fit. Um, but it's, it was amazing. It was amazing being able to hear your story and hear your side of things too, because I am definitely pro cannabis. I just don't think it's for everybody, but I say, if, if, if it works for you, do it. You know, it's the same thing. I saw one of your videos actually, where you were getting out of your car and you were shaking and you were trying to show people that it wasn't this that hurts me. It was the way people react to it. And I look at it the same way as yes. I treat you just the same. I'll be more than happy to hold the door open for you, but I won't look at you like a freak. I won't look at you like you need 911 or something. I'll look at you and ask you need anything okay cool and i think that's what really needs to be shown too it's not a whole bunch of babying or crying or worrying about somebody and it's also not the over over thing like you know being mean and then completely ignoring what someone has it's just about finding that middle ground and realizing we're all human going through the world together if we can be able to help someone that has no arms get through a door you should do that with everyone we should all hold the door open we should all do these types of things because it doesn't take much to be a person and i think we can refine that at one point. Absolutely. And I think that partly comes back to the genuineness. I think everybody, their first gut is, oh, I should help that person. But then it's supercharged with, I wonder what's wrong with them. Oh, they look funny. I mean, there's other things you talk about your mind racing. And I think those things jump to the forefront. And rather than just going with the gut of, oh, I should help this person with no arms, you know, it, it, it's unfortunately society has drilled so many other things into people's minds that there's judgment and, and all of these other things that come into play. And yeah, so genuineness, I guess, would be the underlying of, of what I want to do with Camp Sunshine is, is truly there's no smoke and mirrors. I'm not saying it cured me. Um, and I'm not saying it's a cure all for everybody. I mean, hell, my dad will probably never, ever, ever try THC again, given his, you know, questionable cookie experience. And yet you know, there was another dude on Martha's Vineyard who was 90 who put some CBD on his, his knee that had been ailing him for weeks and weeks and called my dad crying because he said he was pain-free. And, and he now thinks that cannabis is the best thing. I mean, everybody needs to have their own experience. But I think being comfortable with, you know, even inquiring about it is the first step. And I think a lot of people are still scared about it. Yeah, I definitely think it's going to be opened up a little bit more to the future. And I really appreciate you for coming out and doing the podcast. First of all, um, means a lot to me and especially to get the word out there a little bit too. I definitely think, you know, cannabis is still a touchy subject and still stigmatized in a lot of ways, but I really want to give you here a minute at the end to be able to promote your content, you know, your Instagram page, anywhere where people can find some of your work, um, be able to learn a little bit more about this um, cause that you're doing and also this movement, I would say. Yeah, well, I have to say the first thing I need to do is um, plug my book. It's available on Amazon and it is called Segway into My New Life. Um, it is not about my journey into using cannabis, but it is about my journey into being diagnosed and my first years with all of the disease modifying drugs and different things I did. And I encourage people to, if you are looking at my story now um, and you are in a situation that's similar and and curious about where I came from, I really um, recommend reading it because it's, it's a great story, apparently. I haven't read it recently, so I don't remember it. Um, again, it's on Amazon. It's called Segway Into My New Life. 
Um, I can also be found BBH with MS.com is my blog. I have been writing there for about eight years um, and there's a myriad of topics covered um, from dealing with disease and divorce to uh, getting a job to dating to different disease modifying drugs, all sorts of fun things. Um, and then currently the most active, if you want to know about Camp Sunshine, is my Instagram, which is again BBH with MS. And the BBH is Boobs, Boops, and Hair, which was a acronym my husband gave when I used to feel like shit. And I he would just say, Yeah, but you're rocking the BBH. So that's where it comes from. That's how you can remember it. Boobs, wow. boots, and hair. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for listening to this. Should we episode. end it on that, Rob? <laughs> yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna definitely wrap it up on boots and boobs for sure. <laughs> boots, boots and hair. There you go. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank Podcast and stay tuned for our next episode.